0: The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Nick Nanavati.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, Nick Nanavati. and this week we are joined by one of our other Art of War coaches, our most recent addition, Alex Inglesos, all the way from the land down under in Australia. Alex, how are you doing?
0: Really good, thank you. How you doing, Nick?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on. No problem. So for those of you who don't know, Alex is a menace on the table. He's actually a, a member of the WTC team, Team Australia, who won last year. So yeah, they know what they're doing. And on top of that, Alex is a bit known for taking the oddball approach to 40K, not the tried and true beaten down path. He likes to find really obscure lists and unexplored ideas and has an outside the box approach to Warhammer, which I think is really fascinating. So he plays a very eclectic group of factions, some of which are often not the most powerful, but he puts in the work with them. So we're going to figure out exactly how a man of such different talents makes it all happen. Alex, are you excited for this?
0: Yeah, really excited. Uh, I think it's uh, pretty pretty easy to say that most people kind of coin the term like the Australian meta is like different <laughs> to, to every other matter, uh, just from uh, out of the box thinking, but we definitely try to make some uh, weird lists. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh,
1: I, I mean, maybe it is weird to us Americans over here, or maybe there's a method to the madness. I'm sure there is. So let's unpack a little bit about what that is and how it works. So this is going to yeah. be part one of the podcast. In this episode, Alex and I are going to break down his play style, his philosophy, his approach to list building, and just generally who Alex is. Then we're going to sum it all up with the list he's been personally working on since 10th edition has started, and he's super excited to share it with us. Then in part two, we're going to take that exact list and explain in detail with Alex how he pilots it. Tactically, strategically, what tactical cards he goes for, how does he play the objectives, does he just table his opponent, what is the approach here? So, you know, the faction that we're going to be talking about today, it's going to be tyranids. So this is super exciting. I love the tiered I love janky plays. This is a podcast you do not want to miss out. You can sign up right now on AOW40K.com. That is our Patreon. It'll really help support us and our podcast This is episode 197. Everyone likes that. That's awesome. We can't keep doing it without you. So thank you so much for your support. All right, Alex, enough spieling and dealing out of the way. Why don't you tell me about yourself? How did you get into Warhammer?
0: It's been a, a hot minute now. I think it's been about three years, uh, close to at least. Uh, I got into it from some friends. Uh, just initially playing at the end of ninth edition. Uh, basically, all I got to play against was you know, imperial guard, water uh, spam, or mine hands lists, uh, which were the peak uh, at the time. Uh, While well, I was playing my lowly admex, so that was always fun. But I think that got me a good uh, understanding on how to play the game. Not just around pure attrition, um, which was what these two armies were really good at doing and and just taking you out, but then how to actually, you know, conquer the board and, you know, play around movements and, you know, push yourself that way and push your limits in a different way as opposed to things that were outside of your control. So that was uh, my, my initial start.
1: Let me just ask a question in there. When you're new to the game and you're just starting out, so much of the game is learning it mechanically. Like, how do my stats interact with yours? How do my rules interact? And then, you know, you're just trying to get through it and you're just seeing kind of what works. It, it's a whole nother level to get to the movement aspects of the game and the details and how to understand that. How did you make that jump from just, like, figuring out the game to now learning the game?
0: Yeah, good question. I think... Uh... Back at the, the initial part of what you said, it's really hard to unpack different rules. And, you know, within just your, your faction, let alone faction versus faction, there's obviously different rules between the armies and the the actual units inside. I found the easiest way for me to get into it and immerse myself was to have multiples of the same unit so that way I could start getting that uh, muscle memory of knowing what everything does and what wh- how it should operate. And that's, you know, probably important, you know, not just what, uh, you know, how it works, but what it should actually deliver and do for you. So I did spam quite a few um, things you know my admin list was a brigade and it had 12 units of five vanguard all with the same war gear or with the same everything so that way I could muscle memory myself into playing the list. I think that was really important. And then the second part is really just you know reps, reps, reps because once you get into that mode where you do understand you know and you have that muscle memory, Your mind starts working out on how to actually maximize that. And it's always around that question. And one of the best things you can do is obviously just ask yourself, what do I need to do this turn at the start of your command phase? And really plan that out before you actually make your moves is huge. And it changes the game. You can even talk through it with your opponent. I do it all the time, and it's a great learning way.
1: I do it as well. I find it's, it's helpful for me to make sure I know what I'm doing. It helps with my opponent to make sure we're on the same page. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's a generally good practice, I find. And it's kind of counterintuitive, because you would think, <laughs> I don't want to give away my information to my opponent. But 40k is a mostly open information game. So you're
0: yeah. much good doing it. You have to play with the, the opponent, right? Like, at the end of the day, it's a two-player game. You're there not to play against them. You're there to both, you know, achieve the end result, which is completing the game. Uh, by talking through it, firstly, they know your intent. They understand everything that you will be doing. They can agree or disagree if something is possible, uh, such as we can check out a movement and go, is this actually correct? And they go, yep, that looks like that's right. There's no problems there. Uh, they can also confirm if there's any stratagems or anything that they will be able to do if you do a scenario when you ask. Um, but it's great, and you know nobody feels bamboozled. Everyone understands what's happening, um, and it leads to you know making, you know, this is a social hobby as well. So, you know, making friends along the way and, you know, having a, a great time, which is the most important thing. Good news. So don't let me cut you off.
1: After you started evaluating and, and repping the same army tons and tons and
0: tons, how did you progress from there? I went to my first event and that uh, went well for me. Actually, I ended up going undefeated. So I I went to an RCT, a bit of a small one. I think it was about 20, 24 people. I met quite a few uh, strong players at the time and, and some good friends now so as an example i met and i'm sure a few people on the podcast might know chris wright i was lucky enough to uh, dodge him he came first i came second uh, so that worked out really well for me but you know it, i got to see you know a slew of different factions that i've never experienced you know i think i played i played into jukari that day um I, they just had their codex released i believe as well i played into Death Guard and I played into, I think, some sort of Marines because they were just everywhere, right? But it was just great, you know, getting a different experience and understanding um, and getting into the community. But that was really my story, and once I had that amazing experience, I was uh, pretty hooked, and I continued to hobby by, I mean, they even got me more motivated to paint uh, because I was not definitely not the best painter before that. Uh, but, yeah, and then, you know, moving forward, I, I guess I, I just continued to do that. I have continued to have a a decent standing in the community so I met a lot of friends here and that's made me want to go to more events but realistically the community is what's made me into the kind of the competitive player I am today because I find competitive to be uh, not stressful you know experience at all it's it's you know a chance to meet with friends but also you know play as hard as you can to to achieve results
1: yeah, honestly, I'm in the same boat. Like the community drives me to be better because I got to hang with you guys who keep going to tournaments and doing it. It just drives itself. That's anyway. it. And it's not even just competitive, you know, for those people who are slightly less competitive or if you're hobby minded or whatever, you see, you meet the same people, you see mm-hmm. the same things. Um, you make friendships that last and let you go to see them more so than the actual competition of time. Definitely. Yeah. So you have a pretty strange approach to Warhammer. I would say I've never heard of anybody who just takes the same unit 12 times in a brigade just to memorize it. Uh, it kind of goes along <laughs> with your robotic approach. I know you and Siegs have, have some weird bro bond going on. So yep. <laughs> Yeah. <I> mean, <laughs> talk to me about this. Break down your own approach to this game, like philosophically. How do you build lists? How do you view it? Like I, I think you have a very unique take on it compared to most people, so I'd love to hear it from your own perspective.
0: Yeah, I, I in ninth, especially, I kind of looked at it the game on a lens of uh, how do I simplify the army um, to be easier to rep over longer periods of time, where I can minimise my mistakes. Because I think there were obviously, you know, quite a few different armies in ninth. I'm sure you would agree that had different levels of complexity, and you know, they didn't have you know as much freedom for for making these mistakes. Once you did make a mistake, it was really hard to recover. So the first thing I try to do is simplify everything as much as possible. Um, But at the point of list design, while making things simple, I also want to make it so it's designed with a purpose for secondaries before anything else. This still applies in 10th. Obviously there's a difference between fixed and tax secondaries, but you do want to have this added extra bit of flexibility down in lists where you can adapt and change. Um, I find it personally exciting. It obviously does throw a spanner in the works of some other people. So my list design now is around simplified actions, board control, and, and really just focusing on where you can be on the board, how you can maximize movement, um, uh, placing yourself in the right spots, um, mostly around the middle, but being able to hover into these certain you know areas. And really, you know, people say that there's less counterplay to opponents' objectives. But I, I think that's wrong. Um there's so many new features introduced in the game where you can actually um, interact in the opponent's turn. So that's your your chance to actually then disrupt their you know fix attack secondaries and do some really you know amazing stuff. So I guess my my style right now is around you know board operation and control, um uh, more than raw killing power, which I think a lot of people are hovering to right now.
1: I would agree. It's especially in a new edition when they re-index everything. You need to learn all the new data sheets over again for the entire game. Mm-hmm. System. Uh, it's a really natural response to just like collectively kind of come up with the ones that seem mathematically good or just obviously too good or broken or whatever and lean towards them. And that's great because they're they're obviously good at being tough or being fast or being offensive and killing everything. Um, and they're easy to identify. But there's so many more layers to Warhammer, especially as an addition starts to get developed and evolved. Like, playing the mission is a great counter for when you are just physically out-muscled on the table, in terms of army raw power. But right now, in the addition, it's also very simple. Um, the indexes don't have the same depth that codexes do, so hopefully as they release them, we'll get that depth back. But right now, if you can't deal with the fact that your opponent is trying to table you effectively you're going to get tabled and you know, there is an element to getting tabled and winning anyway by scoring enough points. But if you walk in with that strategy, is that really a winning strategy? Is that like, how do
0: you approach it from that angle? Yeah. And it's around, you know, fixing the chances for that as well. Like if you did get tabled, the chances of you winning probably not high. So it's not a game plan you should really, you know, focus on. So, you know, there is a delicate balance and obviously there's different armies that do things differently. Like, We can say, as an example, Knights, you know, are very killy because their data sheets are just built that way, but they're also very, you know, defensive. Not as good as doing actions because there's not as many of them. Um, Obviously, actions is the the term gone, but you know what I mean. Uh, But then you have other factions that can, you know, really just, you know, focus on, you know, being around the board, you know, being able to, you know, pick up attack card and go, oh, yeah, I can do that this turn. And so there's definitely different ways that you can play the game, uh, whether you're muscling it through or, playing very tactical for lack of a better word
1: in theory your opponents also playing tactical objectives or you know they're doing a fixed plan and the the more you're dying the more board control they also get and correct virtue of you not being there it's easier to score tacticals because there's no one to stop them so there's correct. a there you know uh, elder armies are a great example it. they're fast and they can make up for the points on tactical in terms three four and five after your data models Mm-hmm. Oh, and, you know, Eldar is its own beast, so we don't have to necessarily compare to that. But <laughs> philosophically, like, you know, people do kill you and get tacticals through the nature of 40k. Um, so, you know, it doesn't matter if you build this machine necessarily that just scores 80, 90 points every time. Your opponent can also do that, I've found.
0: Yeah, it's kind of this weird race where you need to kind of outlive them to a point where they can't catch up and, and go from there. So it's not really just around, oh, I get this card, now my, I know what I need to do. Um, and your opponent knows what you need to do so they can counterplay. Uh, it's around, okay, I can do this, but I need to do this in a certain way so that way the opponent doesn't get any extra value. What does that mean specifically? Well, uh, we can look at it on the lens of, hey, I get these cards and I need to complete some actions in the middle. Uh, however, I also know that in the next turn, the opponent can start making progress to get towards the middle and they could be drawing cards. That could, uh, you know, be typically a lot of attack cards are too long don't read, hold middle, right? Um, That's just uh, what the vast majority are. So you can see that you can make a bold prediction um, and you can start move blocking them, stopping them, harassing them, destroying specific units that would be able to make that play rather than units that are sometimes, you know, you you take out those units rather than the units that are taking out more of you because you would win the war of attrition anyway, regardless. Um, But being able to just impact the amount of primary they gain, the amount of secondaries they gain, while still scoring those is much more important than um, just pure killing power or purely focusing on the objective.
1: So you're basically recognizing that you can just play to attack their ability to score instead of focusing solely on just your own scoring. And I think that's a great way to phrase it, because like, if you only focus on your scoring, stopping your opponent is negligible, and then your mm-hmm. opponent is going to score just as well, if not more, because of virtue of kicking your ass. But mm-hmm. if you're if you're making your, your blows very strategical, surgical, and precise to their small exaction squads or whatever that can do the actions, now it's like, okay, my knight's not going to go investigate signals, so this sucks. And you get that off enough times, you'll kind of win the game through that.
0: Exactly. I mean, I had an instance where I had um, taken out the backline, which I warned my opponent on, Uh, this is in ninth, so this doesn't, you know, exactly, um, is not as exactly relevant, but it does, it is relevant still to how the game plays. But I I warned them that I could, you know, move quite fast and take out their backline. They had some cultists. I took them out um, because they didn't heed my warning. They then proceeded to have to have Abaddon walk all the way back and just be an objective monkey for their primary. That alone was huge because that saved a whole bunch of points, and we all obviously know how a crazy Killy Abaddon can be. And my list was definitely not suited to actually be able to handle him or tackle him at all. But he ended up just, you know, raising a banner on his backfield objective and staying there the rest of the game. And that was, to me was perfect.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, that's like a classical case of having a resource not allocated appropriately. That's, that's one correct. of the problems with people who just make their, their list all raw power. And this is kind of one of the things that, that you can exploit against armies like Knights. If they don't have anyone to do actions or hold objectives, you can create enormous points efficiencies because they still have to do those things. Otherwise, they'll, by virtue, lose.
0: I do so, think, yeah, definitely with the game as well. Like, it's so kill right now. People yeah. are focusing on that. So uh, I definitely do have a few different lists I try, some that don't really even focus on, you know, killing and just play the mission. But, you know, for, for people starting and, and everything else, I I do think a bit more of a balanced list is the way to go. Um, and, and having some of that really... Uh, Oppressive force is is a good way to just kind of get into it and and have a bit of fun, right? Because you want to you want to see things blow up.
1: So it makes perfect sense to me your approach to the game. If everyone's zigging, you go zagging, and yep. basically in this case, everyone's killing people. So instead of killing people, you're focusing on the scoreboard. What does that look like in terms of your approach to list building?
0: So there needs to be you know if we talk, I, I basically always go tack. I never go fix, mainly because the factions that I have fixed for. Aside from one of them, I would say the rest of them are pretty poor for running fixed. Um you have some factions like Eldari who can run fixed pretty well because they're fast, but they're also cheap. Fast and cheap are the best, you know, combination to to really run these. Um but for me it's my approach is really around something that can, you know, play towards the middle of the field, impact the opponent's moving. So whether that's move blocking, uh, movement penalties, um, uh You know, even just like, you know, popping in the back line so they have to deal with something else, you know, whatever that may be, Um, you know, doing things like that so that way I can hold middle longer. That's my main, you know, kind of strategy right now, I guess. It's, you know, trying to outlast that if I can get that three out of the five turns. And then as they start pushing further up, I can then start scoring their backfield or getting, you know, creative kills or doing anything like that. That's, that's ideally what I want to do. It's really around, I guess, proficient. Planning, even though I don't play GSE.
1: I was to say, that sounds like a strat. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay. So you, you're just trying to pick and choose your battles, in essence.
0: Yeah, 100%. You know, it's, you, you can see scenarios where you have, you know, armies that don't have a huge amount of OC, you know, and all their OC is loaded into backfield um, shooting, you know, uh, vehicle platforms. Those that pose obviously less of a threat, you just want to. Stage yourself in a, in a spot where you can actually be hidden, uh, try and hold an objective and stay in middle and just you know play the game that way. If there's other armies that are, say, like Necron Warrior Blobs and things like that, what you want to do is just really harass them so that it takes them longer to get to the middle and uh, start dealing with them through weight of force in one turn uh, with as much units as you can, just so you can actually wipe them out. Uh always it just depends on each opponent, right? The the one thing that I will give props to Games Workshop is that every army does have some distinct styles in there for builds. So, you know, they all play vastly different. You don't really have just one cookie cutter list that will just work against everything. Even these Eldari lists, you know, as an example, they aren't performing as well against knights as what they'd like, right? So uh there's yeah, you need a you need to have a bit of flexibility with your game plan and and a good understanding of what the opponent does. Luckily, indexes are the easiest way to understand what your opponent does.
1: Yeah, they, they have made that very important to know what the opponent does, but also very accessible, which is, this is not the worst thing. Um, in terms of your overall approach to the game, this is kind of backwards compared to most people. I don't mean in terms of damage. You started off first thing, and you said, I focus on secondaries and making sure my army can just do this and accomplish these, and I have my action getters. And That's an interesting place to start considering that secondaries are 40% of your overall score, whereas primary is 50. And, you know, you can make an army that is really good at secondaries, but gets dominated in certain missions on primary, and you're just not going to keep up. So how do you simultaneously attack someone's scoreboard, um, focus on your secondaries, and then like put primary as your, you know,
0: an afterthought? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I look at it more on a mathematical standpoint. It's It's interesting, right, because I kind of look at primary like its own secondary, and typically most of the missions are just hold your own objective and you get five points. There are some exceptions to that. But doing that alone, if you just can guarantee that you can hold your own, that's 25 out of the 50. Then if you can just hold one more objective, and then even if you gave the opponent the rest of the objectives, you would still be in a great spot. Uh, sorry, it's 20 out of 50 because you don't get turn one. You would still get 40 out of 50. That's a 10 point difference. Now if you then disrupt the opponent's entire secondary plans by having creative CP usage or abilities that work in their turn or, you know, through board presence, whatever it may be, you are going to be able to end up, you know, having that curve work a lot more in your favor anyway. So you can end up having, you know, I guess a joint primary score if things go wrong you know, a pretty safe, you know, assumption that you'll probably get around the 40 points.
1: You're basically uh, saying that the primary, you don't have to work hard to get a decent score in primary, like
0: 40 you is a pretty decent score. It's, so. Yeah. I mean, I think even if you've got 30, 35, you know, you can, you can still play the game and win the game that way. Right. It's just around, you know, if you can kind of equalize that score, you know, in a turn and having a little few extra pieces does help obviously with that. Um, that's great. But the easiest way to disrupt your opponent is uh, two ways, right? Either brute force and take them and, and wipe them off and then dominate primary, of which you would have only increased your score by an extra 10 points projected, right? Because you can only score a max of 50. Or you can dominate them through the way of having an extra 40 points on secondaries availability and then them getting, let's say, 10
1: Yeah, makes perfect sense. I mean, I play a very cagey style myself where I barely hold on to primary. It's like, how am I? I controlled like 10% of the table for like the first half of the game a lot of the time. (laughs) Just win the back half somehow. It's Um, wild. Yeah, so I totally agree. You do not have to just take over the center to control the game. It is certainly a viable strategy, though. I mean, Jack does it like every
0: game he plays. Yeah, I mean, I I will be honest as well. I mean, most of our secondaries in attack are... Just hold middle anyway. So if you are in the middle and you are winning on primary, you you are generally gonna win on secondaries as well. I believe there's four exceptions to the rule. Um you know, there's one where you have to do actions in uh, the quarters, uh there's engagement all fronts, there's um hold your objective, hold the opponent's objective, and then everything else is either a kill secondary or hold middle. Very nice. Or behind. Which yeah,
1: it's it's pretty much be on your opponent's side of the board. Take an objective. Kill something off an objective. Or, or
0: like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You you can kind of predict um, really well, like what what your game plan should be before your turn. But then once you do get those cards, you know, it's just go time.
1: I've gotten to the point where I will like not put my models on objectives just so my
0: opponent can't kill me off
1: of them, or restore my yeah. hopper.
0: You know, <laughs> I I've done that before as well. Um, another reason about the primary right, like I mean, I've had experiences where I could have. Jumped on a third uh, primary point, and and held that. But I knew that my opponent picked a fixed secondary, which was storm hostile objectives, and yes. I was just going to be feeding him points. And I was happy with getting forty points primary, as opposed to giving him twenty points secondary, for me getting a potential extra ten points primary. Yeah, which I wouldn't get anyway because I wouldn't be holding it on my turn. So yeah, it's there's smart ways to look at the game and and change what the opponent uh, does or can do.
1: One of my favorite moves that I've been pulling off lately is to rapid ingress a lone op character onto an objective. And then, just like mine, and my opponent did not think that was mine. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So, anyways, um, I like your approach to the game. It's it's totally backwards from a conventional approach, but it still makes sense. It's founded in a lot of logical ways, even though it's not necessarily um, intuitive. What armies do you think lend themselves to the style, or do you think it's approach- achievable by any faction? Um, I, my thoughts are like some armies obviously lend themselves to a more aggressive style, like World Eaters or Chaos Knights or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Or some armies kind of have to play like this.
0: Um, but you know, what is your take? I I would agree. Um, I think you know armies like World Eaters, Chaos Knights, regular knights. your, um, your, even to a degree, you know, most of the quickie-cutter Marines lists, which are currently getting played, um, wouldn't be able to, you know, operate this way. Marines is very flexible, obviously, though. There's so many different things you can do. Uh, but then you're having your – there are some armies that are still quite, you know, bulky and, for lack of a better word, unga bunga that can still operate this way really well, um, such as Custodes.
1: I think Boonga bunga was the perfect word for that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's funny, but yeah, like with the Custodes, there's so many weird things you can do, such as, you know, move in the opponent's fight phase, um, move when they get within nine, and then you can get yourself within heroic range if they were planning a charge to something else. Uh, the double rapid ingress. There's a lot of different things you can do there, which actually does aid it to to being this, strangely enough, board control army, just because while you're not everywhere at once you're you're everywhere you need to be <laughs> no matter what uh, no matter what happens so it's um it feels kind of like you have the board um just because your positioning is just you know kind of perfect uh, some armies don't have that flexibility yet we'll see what happens with indexes but i'd say that this kind of play style, you can adopt it for majority of the armies there and i would m- more often than not guarantee you that if you fond of this play style and this is something that you really want to try you would most likely have an army that would be able to fit in that slot just because it would feel to something that you would have been able to be able to do with them um previously or it just feels more right due to law reasons or just the army you know design
1: there's definitely something to be said about making uh, picking an army that you jive with in terms of how it operates and stuff and i know i play a very cagey style in general and like I often run to the corners with my flying monster demon lists, and people are like, what, what are you doing? But <laughs> it makes sense. It makes sense, you know, to you at least. So um, in terms of how you pick armies and stuff, um, do you just pick the factions that you like and then try to jam them into this play style? Or do you,
0: how, how does that work for you? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, I had, I've had ad Throughout the whole three year period. And then they have conveniently just kind of always operated this way, except so for a small period in ninth when they were just oppressive as heck. Um, but uh, aside from that, you know, I just, you kind of operate, that they've always operated in a way where you have to run, you know, out of the books thinking to, to play that. Uh, Tyrannids is another perfect example where you can kind of get the best of both worlds. You can either run the very crazy force oppression lists or you could run these very tactical, you know, control lists. Um, and, you know, let's say my Marines as an example, I do run very odd duck lists for my Marines just because I hate the norm. Um, even right now, you know, if I look at my list, um, that I've been running, it's, it's completely different to what anyone else is. And it's a lot of flamers.
1: Uh- I only have time for one one
0: army in this podcast episode. But this yeah, is a- we'll talk about that another time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. We'll get you back on to do it, I'm sure. Today, we're going to talk about Tyranids, though. Alex, is a great segue. Why don't you tell me, top to bottom, what your Tyranids list is? And then in part two, for our patrons, we're going to break down exactly how it operates.
0: Right, so I've been playing Tyranids a lot. And disclaimer uh, I do have probably about six or seven different lists. The one that I've decided to go through today is a bit more of a simple design. It helps with... Uh, understanding fundamentals for the game uh, The fundamentals for the army And how it actually needs to play But it also does have a really good mix Of being able to Play the objective uh, Destroy the opponent And also play the secondaries So I'll run into it now um, But we're playing obviously the invasion fleet As the only option we have And we have a hive tyrant uh, The hive tyrant has the adaptive biology that allows him to have a feel no pain, which makes him a lot more uh, durable. The NeuroTorrent is in the list as well. That is there mainly because, uh, well, I, I, I'm not explaining the the rules yet. Correct? We'll we'll go into that a bit later.
1: You can you can do a brief summary of it all, but don't get too deep.
0: no problem. So basically, the list is called "Oops, all assault" because the high torrent makes everything assault around him. And so what you're going to notice with all these weapons is that there's insane mobility and, and range that they can actually get. So the Neuro Tyrant automatically, his 2d6 Psycho Flamer becomes Assault as well. Uh, that 2 damage Flamer ends up being really good. Uh, they're also really good for Shadow and the Warp. You have some Barbcorns, which can now advance and fire, which can make them very uh, good at getting angles to then stop movements. You have three lots of Bivores because they are still great for their points. Um, despite, you know, a 60 point, 60% nerf um, for point cost. You have actually six uh, Shot Cannon Hive Guard, because when you're running around with um, damage three, winning on twos uh, against vehicles, uh, assault weapons, it works out really well. Uh, two lots of Lictors, because you learn Ops are great. You have two Maliceptors, uh, which then becoming Assault as well is even more invasive, and... Uh, Two lots of three pyrovores who make the enemy that you hit uh, not get the benefits of light cover, which is huge for this list. And then you have triple zone throbes units of six, just to have even more um, outward pressure and pushing. That is a
1: beefcake of an army. That is so many wounds and so much jank packed into one package. I know I may not look that assuming, but that army is terrifying on table.
0: it's all high toughness as well, um, high amount of wounds, so you do need a lot of multi-damage here and when you see it, it doesn't seem fast, but it ends up being quite fast.
1: I can't wait to have you unpack this army in part two. Um, for those of you who don't know, Alex is obviously a master at the technical minutiae aspects of the game, the actual positioning, um, how to use those double rapid ingress plays or pile and consolidate. Any jink you can find in 10th edition, he's going to teach us it, so stay tuned. We'll see you in part two, aow40k.com. Thank you so much for your support, and we'll catch you later.
0: Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40 kcom